Good morning. And a happy Father's Day to all the fathers here this morning. <clears throat> if you came here this morning hoping to hear an encouraging, insightful message from a veteran of a father, I would not be hurt if you were disappointed to see me up here. Uh, I hope uh, just by looking at me it is clear that I'm not a father, and I don't plan on being a father anytime immediately soon. Uh, there's a, a man named Ronald uh, Gerald Wayne, and he made an, a business agreement with two other men uh, to invest in an up-and-coming company. The odds of it succeeding uh, weren't the highest, but the potential of reward was very high. So he made an agreement with these two men to invest in this company, and yet 12 days into the investment, he decided that he didn't want to invest in it any longer. And these two men, they pulled him aside and they said, Ronald, if this works out the way we think it will work out, you're going to be very rich. And yet he would, he, he, he would not heed their warning. He decided to withdraw his investment. And for $800, they sold his 10% stake uh, of the business back to him. Uh, those two men were Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. And after four years, four years in this company, over 100 people were made millionaires from this company. Today, that company, of course, the Apple company, is worth more than $750 billion. And today, they say that there's no reason for it to stop before it hits a trillion dollars. If you were to Google Ronald uh, G. Wayne's name, uh, you would see him, you would see all of these articles. It's really a sad story. All these articles, uh, and the title is Ronald G. Wayne, the unluckiest man in history. Ronald G. Wayne, the worst gambler in all of history. There are multiple articles written online that you could read of, of these people who are just trying to calculate how much Ronald G. Wayne would be worth today if he didn't withdraw his investment. For $800, he sold his company back. And yet today, had he kept it, he could have been a billionaire. Uh, he, wrote, he went on to write, aside from any immediate apprehension in regard to financial risks, I left because I didn't feel that this new enterprise would be, working, would be the working environment that I saw for myself, essentially, for the rest of my days. I had every belief that it would be successful, but I didn't know when, what I'd have to give up or sacrifice to get there, or how long it would take to achieve that success. I didn't know when or what I'd have to give up or sacrifice to get there or how long it would take to achieve that success. Ronald G. Wayne went on to retire a man who is selling stamps for his life. He did not heed the warning given to him by the two Steves, and he paid for it the rest of his life, and, and he, he went on to live a very status quo life. There's nothing special. He went on to retire selling stamps and rare coins when he could have been a millionaire, billionaire, had he stayed with the Apple company. I think there are a lot of people today, myself included, who tend to disregard these warnings given to us on a daily basis. I remember uh, towards the end of the program in, in Texas, uh, we would open up every morning doing a devotional. For the last week or two, all of the interns were giving their last devotions to one another. And all of the question we asked every morning is, where in the world do we go from here? We've been fed all of this information, but where in the world do we go now? How do we apply this to our life? 
And there's a moment where I stopped and I asked myself, why am I just now starting to ask myself that question? My whole life being fed from the word of God on a weekly basis, and yet I'm just now starting to ask myself, how can I apply this to my life practically? Turn with me to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to continue to take a look at these people. This morning we're going to see that a heart that hears the word of God but does not respond is a heart that is destined to remain the same. But a heart that hears the word of God and responds to it is a heart on its way to revival. We took a look last week at Nehemiah chapter 8, the first half of the chapter, and we mentioned that this was a generation of people who, for all of the generations leading up to them, at least as far back as they could remember, their fathers, their grandparents, perhaps even their great-grandparents, were people that had continually rejected the word of God. They continually rejected the word of God. They continually rejected and rebelled against the Lord God, and they were paying for it. And this generation faced the question, do we continue to live the same way our parents lived, or do we change our ways today? And so we saw last week that they decided to, to seek out the law of the Lord, to see what it had to say. And to our understanding, this was one of the first generations in years, at least recorded in Scripture, that had a desire to hear the law of God. What was it that the Lord required of them to do on a daily basis? And we mentioned last week that they were thirsty for the word of God. They came prepared to not only hear the word of God, but to receive it. They were, they were thirsty for the word of God. Uh, we saw that they were teachable. They had a desire to hear the words of God and to understand them. And then finally, we saw that they had a tender heart before the word of God. We left kind of on a, on a bitter note last week. We see them hearing the words of God, and it says that the people were moved to weep. They are moved to weep after hearing the, the, the law of God and hearing and just seeing their life and the life of their fathers and their grandfathers and just how, how opposite they were of what the Lord desired them to do, they're moved to weep. And I mentioned last week how, how I wish my heart was moved to weep and be sorrowful over my sin. But here we are, we're going to continue. That was all in one day. They, they sought out Ezra and they had him seek out the, the law of the Lord and he began to read it to them. We're going to continue in Nehemiah chapter 8. In verse 13, it says, Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded uh, by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain. And bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle trees, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each on the roof of his house, or in their courtyard, or the courts of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so, and there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. 
Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were, were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Let's pray once more. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do just thank you and praise you for this opportunity you've given us, Lord, to simply hold your word. Father, you've given us the ability to read your word and the ability to understand your word. But Father, I can't think of a greater waste of our time if we were to gather here this morning, simply hear a young man speak about your word. Father, we want, we want to hear your word this morning. And so, Father, we ask that as you had given these people tender and teachable hearts before your word just uh, years and years ago, Father, we ask that we would have that same mentality. Father, that we would be teachable, that we'd be willing to receive the words from your mouth. And, Father, that we would have tender hearts. Father, that you would show us the areas in our life that need changing. And, Father, that you ultimately would be glorified and that you would change us and conform us to the image of your Son. To you be the glory, Father, we ask in your son's name. Amen. Uh, today we're going to look at how they decide to respond to the word of God. We mentioned last week they had a desire to hear it and a desire to understand it. And so they finally have that, but how do they respond? I think that's a problem in the church we face today. Uh, we have so much knowledge, but I know in my personal life, oftentimes we lack taking that step of responding to what we've heard and what we understand. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that the people were receptive to the word of God. They received the word of God. And we see that it all started with the heads of the fathers of all the houses. It started at home. And it started with the fathers. Um, I was not planning a, a Father's Day message. However, there is a, a tremendous message to fathers here this morning in this passage. It started with the fathers. They heard the word of God. They received it. But how do they respond? And so you have all of these fathers gathering together and going with Ezra and the Levites, just trying to understand what to do next. We've heard the word of God, but what do we do to take the next step? How do, how do I lead my wife and my children in taking the next step of obedience to the Lord? And that's exactly what they do. It started with the fathers. Um, there's a lot of responsibility placed upon fathers in this world, but in the word of God specifically. If you remember in the Old Testament, it was the father's responsibility to offer a sacrifice for his children and for his wife and for his own sins every, every year. It was the father's responsibility to understand the word of God and be able to answer the questions we see in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, I believe, when the sons would come to their fathers and they would ask, you know, why are we doing this? It was the father's responsibility to know why they were doing it and to be able to explain that to their children. Unfortunately, today, I, I, think, I think in many homes, this is lacking. In many homes, this is lacking. Um, the fathers tend to, to, to not have a desire to live out the word of God. But we see here that it started with the fathers. Um, to the fathers here this morning, our, we see this generation of people 
And I mentioned before, they only had examples before them, their fathers, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers. The only example they had before them was disobedience and rejection of the word of God, rejection of God completely. And that was the only example they had before them. And I just wonder, to the fathers specifically this morning, are we rejecting our responsibility as their fathers did? Are we rejecting the responsibility as their fathers did? And, and one thing you have to credit this generation of people is that they did not use their father's disobedience as an excuse. They didn't use their father's disobedience as an excuse. Uh, so many times I hear of people um, getting saved or growing up in the assemblies, and it's like, well, well, my father really never took this seriously, or I got saved at a later age, and now I'm behind the game, and they begin to use all of these excuses that hinder them, and they allow it to hinder them from moving forward. But we see this generation, they didn't use that as an excuse. They took it upon themselves, and it was their responsibility that they embraced, and they said, we are not going to live like our fathers lived, in disobedience and rejection to the word of God. So we see that the fathers initiated it. Um, and do we, do we tend to, to let our past or our family history hinder us in taking the next step forward? Uh, people will often use the excuse, well, well, I've never received any training. I don't even know what it looks like to, 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 to live out the word of God in my life. Well, we have the word of God. And that's all these people had was the word of God and Ezra to explain it to them. We have even more than that. We have the entire word of God and we have the Holy Spirit in, in, inside of us that is able to teach us. And they embraced it. And they said, we will not live the way our fathers lived. The fathers initiated it. It started with the home. Um, the next thing I want you to see is that although the fathers initiated it, their gathering was intentional. Their gathering was intentional. It says that they gathered together with Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. Their gathering was intentional. We mentioned last week that the Aramaic language, uh, history tells us, began to replace the Hebrew language at this time. And, and you can assume that, that this generation of Israelites didn't know Hebrew. And so that's why you have Ezra, the scribe, and some of the Levites able to explain the word of God to these captives. They were uneducated. They were untrained. Once again, all of these excuses that they could have made to hinder themselves from taking this step forward, but they would not allow that to hinder them. And, and, and just once again, so often we use these types of excuses to hinder us from going forward. We read the word of God, we see that it's thousands and thousands of pages long. We, we see these visions and all these symbols and all these big words that, that intimidate me like crazy. And, and, and we, we allow these to hinder us from moving forward. These people were persistent. They initiated it. They were intentional in their gathering. I wonder, do, are we intentional in our gathering together? When we, we come under the sound of the word, are we intentional? Is our desire to simply hear the words and check off a, an item off our checklist? Or is our intention to come and hear the word of God spoken to our hearts, to understand it, and to live it? They were intentional. The second thing is that they gathered together in order to obey. And in verse 14 and 15, we see that they, found, they, they, they were with Ezra the scribe, and they were reading through the law, and they found specifically what the law said. Now, I want to I point out to you something, that the time in which this was all done. 
we see in chapter 8 and verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 2, it says, on the first day of the seventh month. Uh, if you were to look in Leviticus, you would see that this was about the time where the Feast of Tabernacles was to take place. The Feast of Tabernacles was to begin on the 15th day of the seventh month. Um, and I'll explain to you exactly what the Feast of Tabernacles was in a second. But here they are in the second day of the seventh month, and they're reading specifically what they are to do. And so they read it, and they say, okay, well, well according to this, we only have 14 days to go to the hills, to gather branches, and create for ourselves these booths to dwell in. And so they go out and do it. They go out and do it. Um, they, they gather together with the, intentional, with the intention to obey the word of God. I wish that were true of my life. Where I, where I come to, uh, to, to hear the word of God and I read the word of God and it's my intention not only to hear the word of God and to understand it, but to obey it and to live it out in my life. So often I hear and I might even understand, but I don't take that next, next step. They were intentional and they, their desire was to obey. Not only were they receptive to the word of God, but we see also that they were responsive to the word of God. Verse 16 tells us, then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths. Immediate response. Immediate obedience was their response. They're responsive to the word of God. Um, how often, I wonder, do we hear the word of God and we decide to sit on it for a second? There's so many times uh, looking back in my life where, where I would hear a convicting message and as soon as that brother would say amen, I would have a list of, of 20 things in my life that I, could, that I could work on right at that moment to try and apply that message to my life. And yet I would say, let me think about it for a little while. Let me, let me pray about it just a little bit longer. We see that their response was immediate. By not responding, by choosing not to respond immediately, essentially what we're choosing, dear brothers and sisters, is disobedience. We hear the word of God, and we know, it, know how it is we ought to respond, and yet we decide not to. We are choosing to disobey. We are choosing to disobey. And by not doing it, we're also choosing, we're also um, trading off intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. By not choosing to, to, to change our lives according to his word, how he would have us change our lives, we're choosing um, to, to, to trade away our intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we'll see how these people were able to enjoy it. They responded specifically. Not only did they respond immediately, but they responded specifically. In verse 17, it says, Since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. Now, um, so I can explain to you that the Feast of Booths and the Feast of Tabernacles was... We had the, the, the children of Israel dwelling in the nation of Egypt, dwelling in the land of Egypt, and they were enslaved there. They were, they were held captive there, and, and they were in great bondage there. And so the Lord delivered them by the hand of Moses, uh, doing all of these wonders, uh, ended up delivering them out from the land. And his command was that every 15th day of the seventh month was that they would take the time to just reflect upon that. And it was a time where, according to the Old Testament, the people weren't allowed to work for a whole week. 
the servants were, weren't allowed to work for a whole week. And it was a beautiful time where the Lord would say, remember when I delivered you from Egypt and you had to dwell in these tents all the way to your promised land? Well, why don't you go do that and just reflect on that for a week? Just reflect on, the, on my goodness towards you for a week. I wonder, in my life, I know for a fact that I don't think upon the Lord's goodness enough. And I think we're so quick to forget how good the Lord has been to us. Um, David Reeve was, was a teacher at, at the, the program out in Texas, and, and he was with Bill McDonald towards the end. And he asked him, he said, he said, Bill, if you could do anything different in your life, what would it be? And he said, I, I wish I wrote down more. And, and David says, Bill, I mean, you wrote a commentary, you wrote 50 books. I mean, I mean why would you want to write more? He wasn't talking about a book. He said, you see, I wish I wrote down the many times that the Lord answered my prayers. I wish I wrote down the many times that the Lord showed his goodness to me because I've forgotten so much of it, if not all of it. And I think that's a problem we have, and that's why we're so prone to wander from the God we love because we forget how good he is. If only we would take the time to reflect throughout the week how good the Lord has been to us. And so that's what these people were to do. They were to take a week away from work, a week away from life, to dwell in these booths and just remember and think upon how good the Lord was to them in delivering them from the land of captivity. I wonder if we do that throughout the week. You know, we, we, we come for an hour at the start, of the start of the week and we remember the Lord and how he delivered us but that's only an hour. Dear brothers and sisters, we should never leave the table. We should be thinking upon it throughout the whole week, and we should be filled with thanksgiving and gladness of the fact that Jesus would love me and give himself for me in order to set me free. They responded specifically. Uh, they make note of saying that since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. Now that you, I can refer you to uh, three different instances in which the children of Israel did celebrate this feast prior to this, but they didn't build the booths. They didn't build the booths. They would celebrate the feast. They'd have the offerings. They'd, they'd eat the food, whatever the case was, but they wouldn't dwell in booths for the week. And you can say, well, why? I mean, you're going through all the trouble of, of, of celebrating the feast and all these things. Well, you can imagine how uncomfortable it was how uncomfortable it was to dwell in a tent made of palm branches for a week. I think for us, that's often our excuse, isn't it? We pick and choose what we decide to be obedient to because some things just make us uncomfortable. I remember, um, and, and it, it, isn't, it isn't hard to, to be disobedient to the word of God, I remember uh, I was there in Lubbock and I was filing my taxes, TurboTax, God bless it, but uh, there I was using TurboTax and he was asking me all of these questions and uh, it's just going through these transactions and it, and it had seen how I, I had taken uh, these trips of travel. I had gone to Tennessee in January for a conference. I had uh, gone to Kansas in Thanksgiving to visit a, yo a lovely young lady and um, it was asking me, were these business related? We had these business-related trips, and with one click, I could have said yes. 
with one click, and I would have gotten, gotten you know, a, a write-off for it. And so I'm thinking, my goodness, you know, I, I should go to Kansas more often, you know, you know get these business write-offs, you know, I can use it, I can use it as a write-off, and, and, and I won't be taxed as heavily, and all of this and all of that. But the moment I had that thought, I realized that this is, this, that is exactly what the flesh would say. With one click, I could have been dishonest on my taxes. And there's so many other ways, um, gossiping. It's so easy to just gossip amongst one another, to murmur under our breath, to complain in our heart, to do things that, even, that no one would know except you and the Lord. And it's so easy to do those things. It's not hard to be disobedient, but these people, were, they responded specifically. They said, even though uh, the generations prior to us had kind of obeyed this feast, we want to obey it the way the word of God says to obey. Oh, if we would respond like that. We pick and choose what we want to be obedient to because some things just make us uncomfortable. And that's exactly what this generation of people didn't want to do. They said, this is how the word of God says it. This is how we're going to do it. They responded specifically. Uh, the next thing I want you to see is that there was a joy in obedience. There was a joy in their response. We see um, at the end of, of verse seven, the, 17, the last line, it says, and there was very great gladness. So often we think that it's just so hard to be obedient to the word of God. It's so boring in fact, just, just a couple verses prior to this, we see the people hear the word of God and they're moved to weep. They're weeping, and yet we see here that there was very great gladness. And even in, in 1 John 5, 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, as I look back at my life, the only time where it's hard for me to obey the Lord and to find joy in obedience is when I'm not walking closely with him. When I'm not obeying him out of love, but I'm obeying him out of habit. I'm obeying him because I know I ought to. I'm obeying because I know it'll make me look good. And that's when it's hard. That's when his commandments become burdensome. But the moment where I'm walking with him and I realize that the Lord has been so good and so gracious to me, I realize this is such a little thing. You asked me to do this to be obedient to you, and yet you've gone through these great mounts to, 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 to save me from my sin. This is such a small thing, and my response is a desire to obey. But the moment we are not walking with him, the moment we forget his goodness towards us is the moment it becomes burdensome. But these people, they reflected for a week, for a week, just how good the Lord was. And there was great gladness. There's great gladness in their obedience. And I, I would really encourage, I know I don't have a family, I, I don't have my own house, but I would encourage you to make it a practice in your homes to write down every time the Lord answered your prayers. To write down every time the Lord demonstrated his kindness to you. So that it's written in pen, so that you have it for your own memory, but so that your kids can see and that your kids would grow to love the Lord and to see just how good he was. They responded specifically. Their response was immediate, and there was joy in their response. Not only were they receptive to the word of God, not only 
did they respond to the word of God, but the word of God led them to repent. It led them to repent. In verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Now on the, four, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth, and Israelite, Israelite lineage uh, separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. The first day of this month, we saw that they heard the word of God and were moved to weep. The second day, they realized that they had to make preparations for the feast. They took two weeks to prepare. They took another week to participate. And finally, on the 24th day, they decided to confess their sins to the Lord. It took them three weeks. But one thing I was thinking about as I was studying for this is you have a generation of people hearing the word of God, responding to the word of God, being brokenhearted over the word of God and what it revealed to them about their lives. They even decided to be obedient to the word of God, and yet that wasn't enough because there was unconfessed sin in their life. I, it's a tendency for me when there's sin in my life, I try and justify it. And I say, well, yes, there's sin in this area of my life, but in this area, I'm good. I'm reading the word of God. I'm understanding the word of God. And I'm, I mean, I'm even obeying the word of God in this instance, in this way. But there's unconfessed sin in my life in this area. And don't be confused, dear brothers and sisters. It is not enough to hear the word of God, to receive it, to respond to it, to obey it, if you have unconfessed sin in your life. You must come before the Lord and lay it down. We see that they, they, they not only confessed the word, but they had fasting. They were fasting. They, had sack, they were clothed in sackcloth. They had ashes on their head. It was an outward expression of their sorrow over their sin. Once again, we see the tender heart that they had towards the Lord and towards the word. They were brokenhearted over their sin. And they brought their sins to the Lord. I wonder uh, what led them to do so. Remember, they, they, they were already brokenhearted over their sin. They were already obeying the word of God. But, you know, in Romans 2, 4, it says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And I wonder if that week of just reflecting on the Lord's goodness made them want to confess their sins to the Lord. I wish we, we, we dwelled upon, we thought upon his goodness. One of my favorite memories of, of my grandfather, I was studying at the kitchen table and there my grandfather was sitting on the chair just looking out, out the window. And I couldn't help but ask him, I said, what are you thinking, Pops? And with a smile on his face, he said, the goodness of the Lord. That's on my mind. I wish we did that. We would just sit down and just think about how good the Lord was. And I think it would really affect our relationship with him. They had repentant hearts. Not only did they make confession for themselves, but it says that they confess the iniquities of their fathers. Uh, some people would look at this and say, well, it's okay then to confess the sins of my brother, my friend, and to bring those before the Lord and make them right before the Lord because of my intercession for them. And that's not the idea behind this confession that they were making. And, and I wish we had time to really read through this whole chapter, but what they were doing was in this week, they're reflecting on how specifically the Lord was good to them and to their fathers and to their grandfathers and how they continually disobeyed the Lord. 
In fact, uh, if I could just read you one, a couple verses. In, in verse 16 of chapter 9, once again, they, they're reflecting on how the Lord was good to them from creation to how he delivered them to how he chose Abraham and all of these things. So they listed all of these things prior. But in verse 16, it says, But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you did not forsake them. You see, what they were doing at this time when they, when they made a confession for their fathers, their confession was this is how our fathers lived and we don't want to live that way. They were not simply taking the, presenting their fathers to the, to the Lord and, and asking the Lord to forgive them of their sins because their, their sins were already done away with. They had already died at this point. They said, I don't want to live the way our fathers lived. Fathers, I, I wonder... Um, if it, it really is a heartbreaking thing. I've talked to quite a few people who are really ashamed of the decisions their parents have made. They're ashamed of the lives that they lived, and they just wish and they desire that, that they had lived their life for the Lord. And they're brokenhearted over it. And what a sad thing that is to think. But are we living as, as parents are we living in a way where our children will one day have to confess to the Lord, our, our parents didn't follow you, but we want to follow you? For me personally, I don't want that to happen to my children. The next thing I want you to see, we're running out of time quickly, but we see that at the end of, of verse 3, um, it says that, that, that for one-fourth of the day, which is three hours, they confessed and continued to read the word. And then another fourth, which is another three hours, they confessed and worshipped. For six hours they were doing this. They were consistent. Six hours. Can you imagine gathering for six hours? Oftentimes when I repent of my sin, it's like a 30-second prayer. But for six hours, these people are reading the word of God, seeing in the specific ways in which they were disobedient, and they confess it to the Lord. And we see that the moment they do that, they begin to worship. You see, their intimacy is restored. Their intimacy is restored the moment they confess their sin. They confessed and worshiped. The next thing I want you to see is that last phrase, the Lord, their God. The generations prior to them could not refer to the Lord as their God based on their actions. But this generation of people owned the Lord as their personal God. I think so often we, we, we are, are lacking in that in the sense where we refer to ourselves as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was even talking uh, this morning about the hymns we sing and just how, how hesitant I am to sing certain songs. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. How often do I turn back? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. How often do I sing that and not mean that in my heart? But these people had confessed their sin. There was, there was intimacy with the Lord, and they owned him as their personal God. There's a personal lordship of their life. The last thing, I, I know we're almost out of time, but turn with me uh, to, to chapter uh, 10 really quickly. I just want to point one last thing. We see that 
They were receptive to the word of God. They responded in obedience. They, they were repentant of their sin. The last thing I want you to see is that because of all of this, their spirits were renewed. In chapter 10 and, and verse 28, this is the same day after they had written out this, this beautiful document of, of how the Lord was good and faithful to them. They had a whole bunch of people sign this document. And finally, in verse 28, it says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. I would continue reading if we had time, but in those 10 verses, in the following 10 verses, we see 10 times in which they refer to God as our God or our Lord. There was a, a personal ownership, but the, I want you to see that the unity amongst the people was renewed because they all responded the same way. They all came to a point in their life where they decided there's no way we can continue living the way our fathers lived. At the same time, they all came to a point and they said, we must be obedient to the word of God. There was unity amongst the people because they all had their same response. Their desire was to live their life in obedience to God's word. It's amazing that you see even, even the daughters and the sons and the mothers, how often do you see them mentioned? And yet they came to a point, even the youngest of children who could understand said, no, we're gonna follow the Lord. We're going to read the word of God and we're going to do what it says. And there was unity amongst the people. The next thing I want you to see is that they renewed their covenant with God. They, as I mentioned before, they're, they're constantly thinking back towards, towards their, their father's disobedience, their grandfather's disobedience. And out of their own desire, they decide to renew the covenant that they had made with God. They said, listen, our, our fathers had made this agreement with you and, and they fell short of this agreement, but we're going to start afresh. That was them. Here we are. And they made a covenant with the Lord and they renewed the covenant that they had made with God. And they didn't allow the failure of their fathers to intimidate them in doing so. They didn't allow the failure of their fathers to intimidate them in making this covenant. Uh, so often, I think we allow ourselves to become intimidated based on um, the lives that certain people live, based on their response to the word of God, and they become intimidated. But they didn't allow that. They didn't allow their failure to intimidate them in making this covenant. And it was their own desire. This wasn't something that the Lord had commanded them to renew amongst themselves. This was their own response. It's never too late to start afresh with the, word, with the Lord. There's so many times in my life where, where I've had to say, Lord, I'm going through the motions. I, I'm like a Pharisee so often. You know, I, I draw near to the Lord with my lips, and yet my worship of him is in vain. My heart is so far from him. But it's at those moments where I have to start over, and I have to renew my, my, my life before the Lord, and that's exactly what these people did. And it's never too late to do so we see that the relationship was restored. They started over. I think 
I think, there's, I think there are times in our life where we need to start over. We need to take a step back and say, okay, what we're doing isn't working. Why isn't it working? And I think at times we need to start over. The last thing I want you to see is that their knowledge and understanding of the word of God was not in vain because they chose to respond. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you can quote the entire Bible and yet not one, not yet, not one word of it is lived out in your life? The Pharisees could do that. They knew the law backwards and forwards, and yet they weren't obedient to it. And the Lord would rebuke them continually. And I think in my life and in the church today, we have brothers and sisters who know so much about the word, and yet their life reflects it so little. But their knowledge of the word of God was not in vain because they chose to respond. And they chose to respond in obedience. And brothers and sisters, if we choose to not respond, what we're choosing is to be disobedient before the word, before the Lord heart that hears the word of God and does not respond is destined to remain the same. And just as Robert Wayne would, 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 would live the rest of his life regretting that, that decision he had made to withdraw his investment, selling stamps his whole life. I'm not trying to talk bad about the guy, but if you compare that to the life he could have lived, what a sad life he was living. And yet we have believers, in my, me, doing the exact same thing living a status quo life because we choose not to respond. A heart that responds to the word of God in obedience is a heart that is prepared for revival. And we see that they were brought to a point where they confessed their sins before the Lord and there was revival amongst this generation. There's revival in their homes, revival in their marriages. There's revival in their relationship with the Lord. And yet we wonder, why isn't that so in our life? So this morning, will we decide to respond to the word of God as these people responded? Or will we rightfully and completely consciously decide to continue to live in disobedience to the Lord? Our dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word this morning and we're thankful for the uh, wonderful grace that is found in your Son. We're thankful, Father, that we can even cry out to you now as, as your sons and your daughters. And, Father, we realize that we are blessed in so many ways. We have your word. We know your word. And yet, Father, we don't allow your word to change our lives. And so, and so often, Lord, we, we, we choose to be disobedient to your word. We choose not to respond. And, Father, we know it must break your heart. So, Father, we ask that you would... Uh, just show us the various areas in our life that need to be changed. Father, we, we, we're tired of living the status quo lives we've been living, and we, we want to have our relationships renewed with you. We, we want to respond in obedience. But, Father, uh, oftentimes I feel like those fathers who would gather together and they'd simply ask, how in the world do we apply this to our life? Lord, we ask that you would help us to do so. Help us to be obedient to your word, we pray. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen.